Well, good morning. We're glad to have you with us on this Good Friday, a time when the whole church around the world gathers together with one purpose, to celebrate the reality of Jesus Christ going to the cross in order to atone for our sins. It is the penultimate day in history, superseded only, of course, by Easter itself, a Resurrection Sunday, uh, when he emerges from the grave victorious. Uh, but today, as we consider Christ on the cross, I want us to consider um, the account in Matthew 27 as we consider continue our, our series in Matthew. And uh, in Matthew 27, 33 to 44 will be the account that we read. And then from that account, I'm going to take us back into the Old Testament and just look at three pictures of Christ, uh, of what is taking place on the cross on that day and uh, what we are remembering on this day. And in the account in Matthew, you will see that there are people gathered around the cross who are looking at what is happening. And as they look and behold what is happening, um, they're not all getting exactly what they see. But there are many things that God wants us to see that are taking place at the cross. And so as we read this account, just to quiet ourselves and to remember uh, this account from history, um, and then as we go on from the account to consider those who are watching and what they are seeing, and then we're going to consider three pictures that God painted of his son on this day, long before it happened, and that we should see these things in Christ on the cross, and, uh, and that Jesus claimed for himself as a picture of who he was and what he was doing and who the disciples recognized and the apostles confirmed uh, were pictures of Christ. And so we'll look at those things after we read this account in Matthew. But first, let me just open in a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and give us wisdom as we look into his word. Father God, we just give you thanks for your word. We pray once again that the Holy Spirit would uh, give us uh, ears to understand and eyes to see and hearts that are open. Uh, to what you would teach us, and that we would not come away from your word unchanged, uh, but that it would transform us, and that it would teach us the things that we need to be taught, and more than just teach us, that it would empower us to be able to live as we should live as your children uh, in your kingdom on this earth, in light of what has taken place on the cross. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the account we're reading is in Matthew uh, chapter 27, verses 33 to 34, and it reads this way. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saves others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So as we consider this picture of Christ on the cross, and we picture 
the people gathered at the foot of the cross and walking past on the road, the city of Jerusalem filled with foreigners, filled with uh, travelers, filled to the brim with the people of Israel as they come for the Passover feast and for the sacrifice. Um, all of these people, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, and the disciples as well, and the women um, gathered there, they're all looking up to Jesus on the cross, and they all have different things that they picture, different things that they assume is taking place. But what I want to do this morning, um, as briefly as I can, is look at three pictures of the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. Um, and they're all three from the book of Numbers, and uh, they all are accounts of God proving faithful to rescue his people, but at the same time painting a picture and giving us a uh, foreshadowing of what is to come in the person of Jesus Christ and what is taking place on the cross. The first one that we want to look at is the smitten rock and the water of life. A major stumbling block of the people witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus that they could not get over is that God the Father would strike down his own son. You know, they say things like, he said, I am the son of God, then let God deliver him now. It was inconceivable to them that the true Messiah would suffer the wrath and the punishment of the Father, that the true heir of David would die before taking his throne. But Jesus is the rock that must be struck before life can flow from him. In Numbers chapter 20, the people of Israel are marching through the desert uh, to the promised land that God has prepared for them. And they find themselves, as they often do in the desert, in this wandering, in need of rescue. They feel neglected by God. He's led them out of Egypt. He's freed them from slavery. But now they're worried that he's abandoned them. And they begin complaining. And this is a common refrain as you go through the story of the people of Israel leading up to the promised land. And so God tells Moses, I am going to show them something. Gather up the people and I will demonstrate to them how I provide. And in Numbers 20 verses 10 to 11, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, they and their livestock. So from this demonstration of God's provision, we begin to get a picture of Christ the Messiah. Jesus is the living water, but he is also the rock that must be struck. The rock must be smitten by God. First person, or first Isaiah prophesies of Jesus this way. Isaiah 53, 4-5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so you see, the Messiah is the rock, but it's the rock that must be smote. It must be smitten. It's the rock that must be struck in order that the river of living water can flow out of it. And it's not just the picture of the rock in the wilderness that Moses strikes. It's not just the prophecy of Isaiah. The Apostle Paul then confirms that this is exactly the picture that God intended to paint of Christ in his sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4, the Apostle Paul says, 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And so what the people could not understand is that God's servant had to suffer. God's servant had to be struck in order to provide the life that they would require. And so as these people looked at Jesus on the cross, smitten by God rather than rescued by God, they mistook Jesus as the one who needed rescuing instead of them. They they thought Jesus was the one who needed to be saved, when in fact they, like the people of Israel in the desert, are the ones that needed to be saved. Jesus doesn't need to be rescued. Jesus is the rock that needs to be struck so that we may be rescued. When you look at the cross of Christ, don't get that backwards. Jesus is our rock. He's our provision. He willingly is struck and smitten by the Father in order to provide the life that the rebellious, ungrateful onlookers are in desperate need of. So that's the first picture that we have of Christ on the cross that the people looking did not understand, that they were the ones that needed rescuing, that Christ the rock was being smitten on their behalf so that living water could flow. And then as we continue in Numbers in chapter 21, the rebellion of the people continued and they rebelled to the point that actually stirred up the wrath of God. He wasn't feeling sorry for them anymore. It says in verse five, the people spoke against God and against Moses. And then in verse six, this is what it says in Numbers 21. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, I present this to you, again from the book of Numbers, again with the people of Israel needing rescue in the wilderness, again under the curse and the wrath of God as a picture of Jesus. And it's a little bit shocking that Jesus is pictured as a snake, because obviously we associate the snake or the serpent with our enemy, Satan. And the snakes in this account are themselves poisonous. They are the affliction of the people. And yet, we read in the Gospel of John that this scripture also points us towards its fulfillment in Jesus on the cross. John 3, 14 to 15 says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so John points clearly that the serpent that Moses lifts up in the wilderness is a picture of the Son of Man, of Jesus the Messiah, lifted up so that we may have eternal life. So what does this shocking portrayal of Jesus on the cross illuminate for us? So as we look at Jesus lifted on the cross, what is it about him as the bronze serpent lifted high on a pole as Moses did, meant to tell us about what he's accomplishing on the cross? What can we learn from about the cross from Numbers 21? Well, just four quick things. The first thing is is that the serpent on the pole is not preventative, it's curative. The serpent on the pole, the bronze serpent, is for people who need to be rescued from their afflictions or they will die. It is for the people that are already bitten, 
already afflicted, already poisoned, who are destined to death. Secondly, the affliction of the people is from God. God sent the snakes in the first place. The penalty of the wrath of God for their sin is the danger that the people need to be rescued from. They need to be rescued from God's wrath. He's the author of it. It's God that they are in danger of. And so the second thing we learn is that the affliction that we are in danger from is God himself. Thirdly, the method God chooses to rescue people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. The wrath of God will result in our death only unless God applies his wrath in the form of death in order to save us. You understand? The wrath of God will result in our death unless God applies his wrath in the form of death in order to save us. And so the method that God chooses to rescue his people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself, just like the cross. And then fourthly, all the people need to do to receive the grace of God's salvation is to look at what he has provided for them, lifted high for them to see. They don't have to do anything else except to look. And the implication of that looking is looking in hope, looking with faith, looking with trust, and they will be saved. So Jesus is, as John says, the salvation that God has lifted up. He is bearing the wrath of God. He's suffering the curse of God's wrath that was intended for us. And as Matthew describes the scene of the crucifixion, all the people from many nations and many walks of life are looking to him, but in most of their cases, they are not looking to him in faith or in hope or trusting. The Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, the visitors to Jerusalem, the robbers, the mockers, they are all looking to Jesus lifted high in their sight, but they're looking with scorn. But Jesus is lifted up for the world to see, for all of history to see. And Jesus has remained lifted up for almost 2,000 years now so that those who would be rescued from the wrath of God can look on him and be saved. Look on him with new spiritual eyes that are open to the danger that we are in. And so John, Jesus, me, the apostles, everybody would plead, Look on him and see that even as he is the serpent lifted high, trusting in him can remove the wrath of God stored up for you. Finally, we have a third picture, one more picture of people rejecting the salvation of God that Jesus identifies with. Just the verse before the incident with the poisonous snakes, we hear the people of Israel are grumbling about the manna. They're grumbling about the bread that God has been providing for them six days a week in order that they not starve in the desert. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of, why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. (laughs) So they've been eating manna this whole time and now they're saying we loathe what God has provided. We loathe this worthless food. And the manna of God is his miraculous provision for the people who followed him, the people of Israel. They had been rescued from Egypt. They had been rescued from Pharaoh's army. They had been rescued from their own rebellion at Mount Sinai. And they'd been sustained now by God on their journey with him. And yet they complain and call the manna worthless. How often do we, even as God's people, overlook and even reject what God has provided for us? Monica Verboski sent us a short testimony of a God moment in her life that speaks perfectly to this picture of Christ and the lesson that's in it. So just take a moment, it's just a couple of minutes, and hear 
Monica's story of just a moment that God showed up in the most uh, unusual way in her life and what it teaches us about the bread of life. John 6.48 tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. Within the same chapter that my mom had passed away, my stepfather took me out to lunch at a well-known Italian restaurant, one that serves you that warm and wonderful basket of bread within moments of sitting down. As we sat down, the crowd began to build uh, of people standing in line waiting on their table. The line switched back around uh, to the point that they were almost standing right at our table. I felt impressed uh, to get up with our fresh basket of bread and offer it to the line of people. So I went down the line individual by individual and the Lord let me feel the sting of rejection each and every time until I got to the very front of the line and there was a man standing there with his daughter, his little girl, and she looked up at him and said, Daddy, I would love a breadstick. Could I have a breadstick? And with a beaming smile, he looked down at her and looked back at me and said, of course, sweetie, you can have a breadstick. Their name was called shortly after. And as I made my way back to the table and looked upon the faces of everyone who had rejected the very thing they were standing in line for, I saw regret and discomfort and people who were originally concerned with the wave of public opinion, if they had said yes to me, now regretted that they were still hungry and hadn't taken the bread. Jesus reminded me that day that we stand in line all the time for what he has to offer and we reject him still. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Monica. That is a poignant story and all the more so because it is a child who takes what is offered freely and gladly. Jesus points to himself as the bread from heaven, the bread of life. In John 6, 32 to 33, he says to the Pharisees and to the people that are listening uh, as he is teaching, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do not refuse the bread of life. The rock was struck. Salvation was lifted up. See what the soldiers and the Pharisees and the robbers and the mockers could not see. They beheld, but they were not saved. And so ask God to open your eyes that you may see your salvation. Don't let the bread of life pass you by. Then Jesus connects himself to the bread in another manner, as we're about to do now in communion together as a church. Just, <coughs> excuse me. Just before his trial on the cross, Jesus sat with his disciples and explained to them the significance of what he was going to do, that he would be the bread of life to them in a new covenant. Luke 22, 19 to 20 says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, the rock that was struck, Jesus, the living water, Jesus, the provision for our salvation, lifted up for all to see and bear the wrath of God, Jesus, the bread of life given for us. This is what we celebrate in communion, and especially on Good Friday. This is what the people looking at the cross, many of them could not understand why it was good. But by the grace of God, we can see and we can believe. Let's take communion together as we remember these pictures of Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross for us.